Uh, last week, if you were here, uh, we got to see that the Bible is uh, very much like a reality TV show. It, it shows all the warts of people in the scriptures. And we saw the, the ugliness of Abraham and Sarai. And we saw what happens when you don't trust in the power of God. God had promised Abraham and Sarai children, uh, that they would have an abundance of children, as many as the stars in the sky and sand on the beach. And they doubted the power of God. They got impatient. And it had been ten years, and they had wondered, Lord, can you do this? And so Sarai takes matters into her own hands and says, God, if you can't do this, I will do it for you. And so uh, she decides that she will have a child by one of her servant girls. And she gives her servant girl to her husband in an adulterous relationship, produces a child. Uh, as, as she's pregnant, they become bitter and angry towards one another. The, the, the pregnant woman, Hagar, runs off into the desert, maybe to die. And the Lord comes to her by His grace. And says, I have heard your affliction. I have seen your affliction. Go back because I will bless you with an abundance of children. That's where we pick it up today. We're in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, If you have a red Bible, I believe it's page 11, if I'm not mistaken. We're actually going to start two verses prior to Genesis chapter 17, just to get context for us. And so we'll start in Genesis 16, 15. And then we'll read through verse 14 of chapter 17. Read along with me if you would. Genesis 16, verse 15. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now there is 13 years between that verse and the next verse. Okay, 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money surely shall surely be circumcised. 
so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskins shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's pray. God, as we come to a confirmation of your covenant, a confirmation of your promises of grace, Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts, God, that you would show us your power, that you are the almighty God who does the miraculous, Lord. Miraculous things that I confess I take for granted all the time. But you are faithful to continue, faithful to save Faithful to love us. Help us in this. In Christ's name, amen. Where have you seen the power of God? You know, uh, they often talk about uh, an act of God, right? Such as a hurricane that wipes out an entire country, or a tornado that will buzz a trail through some trees, or, or wipe houses off their foundation. Maybe it's, it's a storm that blows a tree into your house, right? And the insurance company calls it an act of God. Because it is so powerful, it is hard to explain it as anything else other than an act of God. You know, I, I, I don't realize this sometimes, but I was woken up to the fact that I often question the power of God. This is kind of a, a heavy Example, but I think it, it helps us understand that we often doubt the power of God. I, I unashamedly hate abortion. Unashamedly hate abortion. Uh, if you've had an abortion, there is grace and there is forgiveness. I don't hate you. I love you. But I hate abortion because I believe it's a genocide that's happening in our country. It's an infant side and it's, it's passed off and it has so much momentum, so much strength. That we could kill someone made in the image of God. That I, I, I doubt the power of God to really provide any solution for. I think, you know, maybe God could use me to, to change someone's mind here and there. But, but it is a movement that has started and it will never, ever end. It will just continue because, you know, we're getting worse and worse. Well, about a year ago, I received a tweet. Um, again, if you don't know what that is, ask a teenager. They'll tell you. Um, but I received a tweet from one of my favorite preachers named Matt Chandler. I met a Chandler today. And um, he says this, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because, because I couldn't find the exact one. But he said this, I look forward to the day in which, like slavery, abortion will be a shameful past in our nation's history. I'll read it again. I look forward to the day in which, like slavery, abortion will be a shameful past in our nation's history. And when I read that tweet, it rocked me. I thought, man, I have such little faith. It's a God who could wipe out slavery, systemize slavery, and make it a shameful part of our history. Is that the same God who could possibly wipe out abortion? And so I discovered, you know, I don't really believe in the power of God. I don't offer this to him in prayer like I should. We see this with Abram and Sarah. They doubt the power of God in the midst of suffering. You know, this uh, God actually describes himself here as El Shaddai, which is God most powerful, God Almighty. And he refers to himself as El Shaddai over and over and over again in the scriptures. 
especially in the Old Testament. We see it six times in Genesis, but the place where God calls himself El Shaddai the most is actually in a place that you wouldn't expect to see it. It appears 31 times in the book of Job. If you know the book of Job, it is a book with much suffering, in which God seems impotent or weak, that he cannot heal or cure Job. And yet again and again and again, God says, I am the Almighty. I am all Powerful, And it applies to no one else in the rest of Scripture. And so my question for you is, where do you doubt the power of God in your life? Maybe there is a broken relationship and you say, there is no way that will ever be healed. Maybe you're in an unhappy marriage and you say, there is no way this marriage could ever be happy. Maybe you have an addiction and you say, there is no way I can ever be broken of this addiction. And when we say those things, we doubt the power of God. And yet here he reminds us that he is El Shaddai. He is the powerful one. He is the almighty one. And so we see in the story as he confirms his covenant, he starts it by reminding Abram and Sarai that he is the powerful one and he will carry forth his power to fulfill his promises to Abram and Sarai. And so let's look at those promises and how God powerfully fulfills those promises El Shaddai, God Almighty, confirms his covenants, and he does this by confirming his covenant to give Abram descendants, to give him land, and to give him his presence. And those are the three things we're going to look at. First, El Shaddai will give Abram descendants. God says this multiple times in this passage. If you read through it, it's almost like God repeats himself over and over and over again. But if you look in verse 2, it just says, I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. Verse 6, he says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. When God first came to Abram and promised him offspring, Abram was still an older man. He was in his 70s or 80s. Sarai was in her 60s, 70s. And so when he came to them and promised them children, for Sarai to have a child was extremely unlikely. Extremely unlikely. But now it was absolutely impossible. Abram is 99. Sarai is 89. They are well past childbearing years. Actually, Paul says in Romans 4.19, Abram faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. There is this impossible situation which God says to Sarah and to Abram, you will have a child. But he, before that, he says, I am El Shaddai. I am the powerful one. I am the one that can make the impossible happen. And so he tells them that he will give them children, even when it seems impossible. And then he actually changes Abram's name to reflect this. He says, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. Now this is actually a very funny thing. Abraham, just like the rest of us, would introduce himself to people. They actually had, you know, they didn't have you know, Motel 8 or, or Ramada Inns. And so many times people would be traveling through and they would, they would stay with them, they would eat with them. And, and, and I'm sure just like today, they would say, hey, my name is Dan, what is your name? And he would say, my name is Abram. And they would say, oh, exalted father. Very good. That's what Abram means, exalted father. 
So, how many children do you have, exalted father? Well, actually, I don't have any. <laughs> you know, and for like 50 years of his adult life, this is his response. And they, they walk away, maybe, you know, feeling sorry for the guy, maybe making fun of him, chuckling, whatever it might be. And so God says, I'm going to fix that, right? And he calls Abram out. He says, I'm going to change your name. Your name will now be Abraham. And imagine Abraham going back to Sarai and to his friends and to his household and saying, God changed my name today. You know, they, they'd probably say, good, it's about time. You know, this, this name Abram is a little bit audacious. Exalted father. Good, we got a little bit of reality in this. So, so what is the new name God gave you? Abraham, father of multitudes. And they're thinking, oh, brother, you know, what's, what's going on here? See, I, I think what when God changes Abram's name to Abraham, he is not saying, you expect too much from me. He's saying, you expect too little. My power is great. I can do all things. And so we see he changes his name, that he promises him descendants. Now, there are physical descendants of Abraham. So we know that God did indeed fulfill this promise. Matthew chapter 1 actually lays out the chronology of Jesus. And it starts with Abraham. In Matthew verse one or chapter 1, 1, it says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, who came after Abraham. Long story. The son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac, son of Sarai, was the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. And then you have the twelve tribes of Israel. And so you have all of these descendants. But then it goes on for 17 verses, listing out 42 generations of people who have come from Abram, just as God had promised. And so God did the impossible. God was, is El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, the one who has power over a woman's womb. And so we see that God gives Abram physical descendants as he has promised, but this is just a shadow of the greater promise. I need you to get this idea of shadow because we actually see it a few times here in the passage today. When uh, Over Thanksgiving, my family and I, we, we traveled through St. Louis and we stopped at the Arch in St. Louis. And I grew up there and so I've been to the Arch many times and on a, on a sunny day there is this distinct shadow. If you've ever been there, you've probably seen it. And if the sun's on one side, it casts over the river and down the steps. If the sun's on the other side, it goes across the grass and the trees and the man-made ponds. And it's this awesome shadow. Imagine if you took your kids there and you said, Kids, look at the shadow of the arch. Isn't that awesome? Go, touch it, you know. Run around and isn't it fun? Woo! All right, let's go home. You know, be silly. When you see a shadow, you always look to the reality, right? You always look to the thing that is the amazing part, right? And so we look at the arch, we see all these silver triangles, you know, stacked on one another, the windows up top, and, and just how it's kind of scraping the sky. It's absolutely amazing. And so the shadow pointed to a greater reality. God's promise to Abram of physical descendants is a shadow of a greater reality, that God would bring Abram other descendants, spiritual descendants, descendants that would be his descendants through faith. We see this in Galatians chapter 3. It says, Just as Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith 
who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, as those are people who are non-Jews, non-Israelites, not children of Abraham, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed, so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This physical uh, th- this physical delivering of God's promise to bring Abram to sentence was only a shadow of a greater promise that God would produce a, a whole heritage of offspring, a spiritual offspring. They were known, they are known as the people of God. It was Israel. Today it is the church. We are children of Abraham. Maybe you sang the song in the Sunday school class, right? Father Abraham had many sons. And are you one of them? Me too, right? And that's how the song goes. And so we are children of Abraham by faith. Not because we are Jews. We're Gentiles, most of us. But we are children of Abraham by faith. And all the benefits of the covenant come to us because we are children of Abraham by faith. And so we get to see those benefits here in that passage. We see that El Shaddai, God Almighty, says that he will give Abram's descendants, which includes us, Land Again, this is a shadow promise. And so we'll see the physical deliverance and then what God, the greater promise that God gives. Verse 8, if you would read along with me, it says, The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. Now, what is the land that God is talking about? You might say, Canaan, dummy. It says it right there, right? And certainly that is true. God does give the land of Canaan to Israel. During the reign of Solomon, there was a time when they did possess the whole land. But there are problems with this earthly land promise, if that's all that it is. The first problem is this, is that the Lord says, I will give the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession to you, to Abram. To Abraham now. I'll have to switch that. Abraham never owned more than a cemetery in the promised land. He had an area to bury his wife where he would be buried, but he didn't own the land of Canaan. And so there seems to be a problem with this promise from God. He says, you will own this promised land. But then the other problem is that the Lord says, I will give it to you as an everlasting possession. And the problem with that is that they didn't own it for much of their lives. Assyria came in and took over it. Babylon came in and took over it. The Persians came in and took over it. The Romans came in and took over it. And so how could this promise be true if it only speaks of the land in Canaan? You see, God's promise of the land of Canaan to Abram is a shadow promise. It points to a greater promise, a greater promised land for him and for his children by faith. We read of it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. It provides that same tension that we see here. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. That is the land of Canaan, okay? As in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. And so here's the tension that you see in this verse. God promises them the land of Canaan, but they're sojourners. They don't own it. And never will they own that whole land of Canaan. And so how will God deliver on this promise? 
And as Hebrews goes on, it answers this tension that we see. We see that it's just a shadow of a greater promise. It says in verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking forward to the real promised land, to heaven, with a city whose designer is God, not man. And so this was the greater fulfillment of this shadow promise of a land of Canaan. And this is for all of us who trust in Christ. As children of Abraham, we have a glorious promised land that we're headed to. We're headed to heaven with a city that is dwelt by God, that is built by God. There is a heavenly land that God has called us to, that He has promised to us. And so we see Abram's descendants uh, are confirmed. The power of God is seen as He delivers descendants, as we saw in the genealogy of Matthew. We see His spiritual descendants by looking at each other today. The church are the descendants of Abraham. And we also see God fulfilling His power, His promise powerfully by giving them the land of Canaan for a time, but also finally gloriously giving us heaven. But the final promise is really the best part, promise. It's really the most wonderful promise. El Shaddai, God Almighty, confirms that He will give Abraham's descendants Himself. He will give him them El Shaddai. Look in verse 7 with me. He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then later on in verse 8, he again says, and I will be their God. There is a, a very subtle claim here by God. He is claiming that everybody has a God. <laughs> Uh, It's not that they have the Lord as their God, but everybody has a God. See, we were created to worship. All of us worship something all of the time. You can't not worship. And so the question isn't what if you worship. The question is, what do you worship? Right? And there are plenty of things to worship. All of them created good by God for us to enjoy. But we take a good thing, we make it an ultimate thing, and we worship it. It could be the Packers. It could be a relationship. It could be your children. It could be sex. It could be money. It could be power. It could be fame. It could be anything that God created for good. We exalt to make the ultimate thing of our life. It's the thing that dominates. It's the thing that keeps us awake at night. The thing that has control and power over us. The thing that if we didn't have it, we would consider death. And so God says, this, these are your gods, right? Everyone has a God, but He says, I promise El Shaddai, the powerful one, the Almighty, to be your God. Um, when Trish and I first met, we, Trish lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I lived in Columbia, Missouri, about 500 miles apart. And if you've ever done that long distance thing, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, we do the best we could to love each other from 500 miles away. It's pretty hard to do. We didn't have Skype yet. And so, we, you know, we, we talked on the phone a lot. Uh, we, you know, burned out our cell phone batteries, burned out our cell phone plans. We, we'd, we'd take pictures of each other having fun someplace and send it to each other so we could see each other, take pictures of each other and look at it and, and you know, think about each other. Trish would make me little things and send them to me to love on me. And, and all of that's good. But I, I didn't want the pictures. I didn't want the things. I want to be with Trish. 
Right? You just want to be with the person. Nothing can replace that. And the Lord God says, I am not just going to give you my things. I am going to give you me. You get to have the Lord God Almighty. I belong to you and you belong to me. This is such a glorious promise. You see, all of us have run away from God. All of us have sinned against God. All of us have said, you know what? I am going to pursue other gods, whatever it might be. And the Lord could rightfully say, I will let you go down this path. I will let you worship and pursue these gods that will never love you back, that will never give you life, that will never give you security, that will always suck life out of you, that will never give you joy eternally. He had every right to let us go down that pathway. He said, no, I'm going to make a covenant, a promise to you that I, the Lord, will be your God. This is such a glorious promise. And we wonder, how could God possibly do this? Doesn't he know what a wreck I am? I'm not really sure he wants to be my God. You know, I'm not really a good representative of what he wants to show to the world a lot of times. And yet he says, no. I know your sin and I will send my son to the cross to die that I can be your God. El Shaddai is our God. What a glorious promise. We don't just have the things of God. We have God himself. I'm about halfway through the sermon and it is 1034. And so I'm going to break there and we're going to pick this up next week at the middle school. And what we're going to look at is that while God makes these awesome promises to us, He demands a response. And we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Gracious God, we we thank You for the promises that You have given to Abraham. You have given to us, Lord. We are His children by faith. What a glorious thought that we get this inheritance of an eternal promised land in heaven in which you are the architect, God. But even what's even more glorious is that we get to have a relationship with the Almighty God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who sends the tornadoes and the hurricanes, the powerful one. Thank you that you have covenanted with us. You have promised to us to be our God because we would choose so many other ones that are horrible. But you are destined to love us. We don't deserve it, but we thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen.